Welcome to episode number 37 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Chick Thompson, who is the executive director of Waggy Labs, and Waggy Labs is essentially an idea incubator for kids, helping them come up with ideas for good. And Waggy Labs combined curiosity, compassion, and courage to build these kid entrepreneurs, or kidpreneurs as they call them. And Chick Thompson has had quite the career. He's currently a Batten Fellow of Entrepreneurship as well at Virginia's Darden School of Business. And throughout his career, he has done some absolutely incredible things. He's given thousands of presentations and talks over time. And he's worked with some amazing companies. And that includes the company that actually created Gore-Tex, which is an amazing material that uh, he's had a few different uses, but especially for clothing and as well as hospital beds. Now we found out more in this episode, but also Simmons Mattress Company, Starbucks and Pepsi, ID Labs with Bill Gross and so many other things. And in this episode, we talk about his creative process, how Chick figures out new ideas and comes up with new ideas and then helps others come up with new ideas in their companies to be more innovative. He actually wrote a book on this called What a Great Idea, I think with HarperCollins, I think published it. And so many insights and takeaways from this episode. It was so much fun to record this episode with Chick. So thankful for his time. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show on iTunes. Just go search Just Go Grind. And you can subscribe there, leave a rating or review, and that helps more people find the show. Without further ado, here's Chick Thompson from Weggy Labs. Chick, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Justin. Glad to have you here. And there are so many questions I have to ask you after you essentially came to class at USC through the video uh, chat. But you've had such a crazy career doing plenty of things. But if someone asks you today, what do you do? How would you respond to that? I would say that I love to help solve challenges, especially really, really difficult challenges. My brain just, I mean, at 70 years old and having the life of being a severe dyslexic along with various autoimmune challenges, I've had some pretty hairy challenges in my life, like uh, failing second grade and then having um, and dropping out of college and then going on the entrepreneurial journey because I realized I needed to work uh, by myself. And yeah. so I've just lived and breathed challenges and really hairy ones. Like, how do you get out of second grade? <laughs> you know, what do you do when you drop out of college and then uh, fail the medical physical so the army doesn't even want you? Jeez. And so what do you do? And so now looking at challenges that my clients pose to me, like, hey, help us invent a new soft drink or a new mattress or... I do a lot of work with uh, the Intel community and helping them uh, identify patterns and try to see terrorists. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, wild thing. Those are easy <laughs> <laughs> compared to how do you get out of second grade? And so, yeah. as Malcolm Gladwell said to me probably about 15 years ago, he said, you had already done 100,000 hours or 10,000 hours on creative <laughs> problem solving by the time you were 18. 
And yeah, you're a phenom by that. Yeah. I mean, so like, it's just like, just give me more. I, so I love watching news shows because I don't read very well, but I love watching news shows and seeing the challenges that entrepreneurs are having out there. And I go, okay, well, what if you did this, 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 this? And it's my friend in Atlanta just had brought me down to talk to his, his workforce. He has a startup, which is now probably about seven years old and now it's skyrocketing <laughs> it's called cabbage cabbage, cabbage it's um, lending money and as okay. cnbc recently said this is the group that is totally revolutionizing fintech i mean they are just growing leaps and bounds and as rob froin their ceo said when he introduced me he said okay this is the guy that helped me design this company and we did it on a <laughs> napkin you know, and, and so, I mean, those are the things that make my day. But even more that makes my day is just after my talk to your group at USC, three students emailed me with really particular challenges that they had in their life and some health-related challenges. And I've been having a, a pretty wild email exchange with them. I said, well, what about this? What about this? Why don't we try this? And I love it. So yeah, that's what makes my day. Whatever the challenge is, as long as it's wicked and no one has so tried to solve it already, I mean, or hasn't been successful. So I don't want to repeat what someone else is doing. If someone said, God, <laughs> I got this thing and I've been, been working on it forever. And okay. I, yeah. And to that point, though, with all these different challenges you face throughout your life and people bring to you, like, can you kind of describe that process when you see a challenge? Like, what is the process you go through after seeing a challenge or a problem, whatever it may be? Like, what is that creative process to solve those problems? What does that look like for you? Well, now on reflection, now after having, I mean, just done so many brainstorms and worked with so many great people. I mean, I didn't realize the power. I've asked why all my life. And, yeah. and, you know, at, at five years old, we ask it 65 times per day. And <laughs> most parents then go and say, stop asking why. Well, my parents never told me to stop. So I just kept asking. And it wasn't until I worked with a Dr. Deming who designed Kaizen and Continuous Improvement. And after I worked with him for a year, I mean, did I realize that he talks about the power of asking why, not once, but five times. You, you, yeah. you see a, a process delay. Well, why is that occurring? You get a response. Well, why is that occurring? Well, you get a response. Well, why is that occurring? And he says, only after asking why five times do you get to the root cause of your challenge. And I realized that's what I've done my whole life. Um, you know, I got uh, my uh, 55, my bones were hurting and uh, I was... I stopped running marathons and my doctor gave me drugs and the, the drugs weren't working. And I said, give me stronger drugs and gave me opioids. And I get, oh man, I don't, uh, you know, I was getting worried about the opioids, but, and I gave <laughs> up the running. Go, Why at 55, I'm healthy. Why do my bones hurt? Well, I've got a bad gut. Okay. Well, why would that cause problems? Well, you get malabsorption. Well, why would that be a problem? Well, some of the absorption is vitamin D. And if you don't get enough vitamin D and then you, you're a lactose intolerant, you don't get calcium. Gosh, could you have, could I have thin bones? 
Ask right. my doctor and he goes, no, men don't have thin bones. They're naturally got stronger bones. If you're a female, I would be concerned about osteoporosis. And I go, hmm, well, I think I want a second opinion. And it turns out I have severe osteoporosis. And, you know, and my doctor, when he saw the DEXA scan test that said that at 55, I have the bone density of an 87-year-old man and I'm, my back yes. is starting to fracture. I mean, he just got tears in his eyes and he said, I would have never seen this. I wouldn't have caught it. Well, I just sort yep. of smiled. Well, thank God this is what I do for a living <laughs> <laughs> because I think I just saved my butt. Uh, yeah, by asking and questioning things all the time, you get to that point then. Yeah, and I think we all have to do it. If you're not, if you your goal is to lose weight, you're not losing weight. Why? And then you get a response to that. Why? Well, why? And uh, your kid's not doing well in school. Why? And then, you know, but do it five times to get to the root cause and forget about the caustic nature of why and ditch your, ditch your, I mean, if you really want to lose weight, ask why five times you're not doing it. And then, <laughs> I mean, you can go and say, okay, well, this is just not one of my goals. Okay. You know, you mentioned as a kid, you asked why a lot and your parents, you know, like kept, were okay with that. But as you've grown older and, and worked with different people, do you ever get pushback from asking why more and more? Um, never from, well, y yes, from, from my friends. Because they, <laughs> okay. they <laughs> you know, but, oh, check enough. <laughs> but never from my clients. And that's what's fun. I mean, yeah, my, my friends would go, well, you know, hey, I mean, look, I live in a town that the world knows of called Charlottesville, Virginia. And yep. so we've got our challenges right now. I mean, five years ago, we got we got the award for the greatest place to live and the happiest people and all that. And then, OK, you know what happened with our <laughs> yeah. statues and all of this. Yep. And now we've got all these other things going on in Virginia, you know, with the blackface and the, this all this stuff. And, and <laughs> I mean. Come on, if you got to ask why five times, you go, okay, this is, we have one of the historic plantations here. It's called Monticello. So we got to start going dig deep and then we understand. And yep. so, I mean, I did get some pushback because when I started hearing the challenges that were going on, I go, okay, let's use the five whys. Let's, let's not just talk about the surface. Come on. Let's and, yeah. and, and so some of my friends at, at cocktail parties to go, oh, we don't want to get in that conversation. I think it's because <laughs> they want the problem. They don't want the solution. Exactly. I mean, I was like, come on, let's come on, let's come up with a solution. And if the solution's not going to last forever, then we got to come up with another solution. And then it, and that's what we call evolution. Yep. And asking why, like using that throughout your career, I think it'd be beneficial to people to have some examples because you've obviously worked with a lot of different companies that I think people would find interesting. Let's go through maybe a few of those. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I know like Gore-Tex was a big one. Can yeah. you go through like, asking why with that and how you solve their problem? Well, sure. I mean, I was one of the first hires of Bill Gore who founded Gore-Tex. And, you know, here, the reason why I got my job is I had dropped out uh, of college. I was working on the assembly line and I was playing tennis a lot 
during the day because I worked second shift on the assembly line. And I met three people that had just quit their job from DuPont and started this company called Gore-Tex. And I played tennis with them. And (laughs) Bill Gore, who uh, said to me one day, he goes, God, you ask so many questions. And I kept asking him all these questions about Gore-Tex, which is polytetrafluoroethylene. I was a chemistry major. So so I, yeah. I knew a little bit about that, but I just kept asking, well, what are you going to do with it? And then well, what is this property? What's this? And I mean, I, I mean, he just kept laughing. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, God, would you like to come and work? And he, he matched my hourly rate, which is $3.66 an hour, uh, which was $9,000 a year. And um, <laughs> so my job was to take polytetrafluoroethylene and to turn it into products. And you don't just go and say, oh, gosh, this is it's breathable and it's smooth and slippery. And um, gosh, you don't have to launder it. And oh, let's just go and make athletic clothes. I mean, that came much later. We first we had the sheet of material and we go, well, what are we going to do with it? And I mean, I tried things like, you know, being 20 years old, I said, wait, why don't we make condoms out of it? Uh, because, <laughs> you know, that it's you know, they would be slippery and they would be a viral barrier and all that. Well, unfortunately, you couldn't keep them on. So that's a health <laughs> risk. So I gave up on that idea. But then I put it on my bed. I had a water bed and I put it on my bed as a bed sheet because I figured then I don't have to launder, you know, my, my sheets because you just wipe them down with a little alcohol and and it was really cool on a waterbed. It was like surfing because you're just sliding all over the bed. <laughs> well, I didn't realize the true product, though, until I had to go to the hospital for intestinal operation. And um, I heard about the concept of bed sores, that patients got bed sores for lying in one position for too long. And I'm going, huh, why do they get bed sores? As I asked a nurse like 20 times. And they kept going, well, it's because the mattress is hot. Why is the mattress hot? Well, it's because it's got plastic on it. Why do you have plastic on the mattress? Because the next patient, you know, we just wiped the mattress down, the plastic down, then we put a new cotton sheet on top of it. And so because if it was a porous mattress, it would be contaminated. And I go, huh, what if we use a Gore-Tex sheet? You go, well, okay. Well, let's try it. So I brought in one of my Gore-Tex sheets. We put it on the hospital bed and every patient slipped out of bed, especially the per- people with body casts on. So that was a disaster. And, <laughs> and you know, everybody made fun of me. For 40 years, they made fun of me for that one. Jesus. And three, four years ago, I got a call from folks at Gore said, you know, we just released that hospital mattress that you created 40 years ago. And it's now used in the burn unit at Walter Reed and Brook Army Hospital for our wounded warriors. And That's it worked incredible. perfectly for them. I mean, I cried all day. And <laughs> what <that's>, relief. <laughs> yeah, good moment for you. Yeah, for sure. I'm going, wow. <laughs> Validation. Yeah, because I knew the idea was good, but. Sometimes ideas take 40. However, the reason why I knew the idea was good is because I asked why five times. I got to the root cause of the, what causes the cubidi ulcers and bed sores is that heat buildup because of a impervious hospital mattress. So if you got Gore-Tex there and you build a, a breathability layer, you'll solve the challenge. 
Yeah. And it seems like that could apply to anyone starting a business and like having an idea for something like, why would someone use this? Okay. Cause of this, well, why do they have that? And they can right. just you know, <laughs> drill down into the problem to figure out if this is a, a viable idea. Obviously you want to get like feedback from customers and everything, but you could also use the five whys in a business idea or to validate an idea to really think about if someone would want this or not. Yes. Seems like you could apply that as well. You're exactly right. And I tell you, the number, because I, I work with a lot of student entrepreneurs and then, you know, local entrepreneurs and all that. Boy, a lot of people don't want to do that. <laughs> they want to ask why maybe once. Yeah. And well, the, the reason why they're going to buy it is because, you know, it's really cool or it's <laughs> going to go and save them time. Well, why is it going to save them time? Um, then they get, well, because it's, uh, you know, it's got this and this. Oh, uh, well, then, you know, just keep going deeper and deeper. What's, I, I keep saying, find out what's unique about your product or service you're going to offer. Because if you can find its uniqueness, then you don't have any competition. Yep, exactly. And that's one of the biggest things is, I mean, I just laugh when the entrepreneur calls me or emails me and says, God, you know, I've got this great idea. I've had it for three years. I've done all my work and I want to share it with you. So will you sign this NDA? Uh, because <laughs> I'm really afraid that, you know, people are going to steal it. And I'm going, uh, number one, I do not sign NDAs. Number yep. two, if you're afraid people are going to steal it, you don't know what's unique about it then. So yeah. do your homework, contact me again, and I'm not signing an NDA. Because, I, I mean, the reason I don't sign NDAs is then you're going to go and say, well, I mean, if you don't haven't figured out what's unique about it, I bet you as soon as I see it, I'm going to say it's similar to three other apps I've already looked at. Yeah, exactly. And then you're going to go, yeah, but you just saw mine and mine's so different than everybody else. Well, why is it different? And they don't want to do the homework. <laughs> Yep. And going back to the Gore-Tex example too, I'm kind of curious about. So I know you came up with the idea for like the bed sheets, like mattress type of thing, but like how long did, did that take? Like you started as like a 20, 21 year old, like on a day-to-day -day basis, how are you kind of approaching this problem of, okay, we have this this product and we want to have uses for it, like medical uses or whatever it may sure. be. Like, like a day-to-day -day basis, how are you approaching that? Like, what are you doing? Are you just brainstorming, going in the field? Like, how are you uh, doing that? Yeah. I mean, for, I mean, you know, I was 20. I yep. was classified as learning disabled and the army had just rejected me. I mean, I think I'm the only person that got rejected. No, you cannot go to Vietnam. I've got, <laughs> okay. <laughs> army was right. my backup plan in life. And in 1969, in the height of the draft, they turned me down. I know no one else that got turned down. And because I have a bad gut and the army didn't want to deal with it. I mean, it's now called, I have, a, uh, I have a very similar gut to Crohn's disease. That's what some people would call it now. Yep. But so it was probably a good idea to not go, I mean, th that for the army, because I would probably have a lot. And I had a immediately six months after they turned me down, I had my first intestinal operation. So point wow. is, is that no one taught me how to do this. I just, had been trying to solve my personal challenges. And then um, just since I'm an extrovert, when Bill Gore said, so, okay, I want you every Friday to come into my office with a new use for Gore-Tex. I had to go and ask people, what do you do with this? 
And that's what I spent my week doing, just taking Gore-Tex material everywhere. I mean, I tried, I came up with clothing ideas, camping ideas. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I made a tent out of it. Um, I slept, you know, under it, you know, outside, <laughs> you know, in the rain. I mean, these are all kinds of things that, I mean, I tried making clothing, a little bit of clothing out of it. Um, and the hardest part, I mean, see, people don't know this about Gore-Tex. It doesn't stick to anything. Yep. So, okay. So we <laughs> had, I had a sheet of film that doesn't stick to anything. How, and it, and you could poke a hole through it because the, the tensile strength wasn't that. It was a sheet of film. So what do you do? Well, right. people would say, well, just bond it to cotton and make a really strong sheet. It doesn't stick to anything. And so I had to go and figure out the, what adhesives to use. And then we made um, uh, a thread out of it. And so what most people see is the woven version of polytetrafluoroethylene. Really? Which, yeah. So that's what most everybody, I didn't have that. I had a sheet of film that didn't stick to it. <laughs> it was a riot. <laughs> okay, what do I do with this? And so I just kept, and we just kept uh, coming up with different ideas, having a blast. And um, I think really what it is, is um, there's a magic in three. Um, and I call it the mashup. If you can find, hmm, okay, how do I use it here? How do I use it here? How do I use it here? And then I throw, slam those three uses together. A lot of times, the big idea comes out. And so, for example, Simmons Mattress, probably 10 years ago, asked me to come and, and give a brainstorm for them, and they wanted to invent a new mattress. I'm going, okay, I don't <laughs> think the world needs a new mattress. We have mattresses already. <laughs> we got mattresses. <laughs> I, I think we've got to be disruptive. They said, well, let's first start off with a new mattress. So we created a new mattress, and we called it, and I said, Okay, if the cell phone and back then the docking station was a good analogy. So if the human being is a cell phone and the mattress is the docking station, what do you want the mattress to do? And someone shouted out, recharge. Cool. Okay, let's do a campaign called recharge and call our new line of mattresses recharge and do a commercial with showing docking station, all that. Okay, that was the big idea. That's what they did. They were happy. They created their new mattress called Simmons Beauty Rest Recharge, I think it was. All the campaigns, everything, everybody's happy. I go, okay, now can we really brainstorm? Can we create something really disruptive? Oh, sure. Okay. They already have the cool product they wanted. I said, um, I, I noticed something. I think these millennials, they are in the airport. I live in airports. So I see millennials sitting on the ground. I see millennials sleeping in chairs. Yep. I don't think millennials need beauty rest mattresses at home. I think they want something mobile. So what can we create? Okay, so that's one trend. I then see a competition called Tempur-Pedic, which is foam. Okay. And then I see another thing is 
we want stuff delivered to our home. Okay, let's. So I said those three things. Let's slam foam, home delivery, and millennials together. <laughs> what do we get? And we came up with a foam mattress topper that could be put on, um, you know, any mattress, and we would sell it on QVC. And our promo would be: we put the mattress on the floor, we put a couple of eggs. Uh, under it, and then someone goes and you know, like a heavy set guy goes and lies on top of our foam topper, and on the floor with the eggs on them, and they don't break the eggs. <laughs> okay, so that was my idea. Well, oh my okay, they had fun, but nobody was going to do it. Well, so what was interesting is Simmons got went through a major transition over the next year. My two clients left. One. <laughs> I love this man. He's my best friend, Kurt Lang. Shout out. He decided to go and create a foam latex mattress topper and sell it on QVC. And he said, God, thank you. You just paid for all my kids' college education. And he had the most successful, still sold all around the world. It's the most successful. My other friend goes, my, my Tim Oakhill, love him. He goes and creates Yoga Bed, which is a foam mattress delivered to your home by UPS. Jeez. Okay. And then another friend of mine created Casper. But 10 years <laughs> ago, I, you know, slammed those three things together. I'm not saying I created any of them. All I'm saying is that I think I asked the right questions and other people did the hard work and created whatever they created. All right. I want to do is help people ask the yeah, right you, questions. You facilitated that through asking the right questions. I have to dig deeper though into the session. So when you have one, they bring you in for like a brainstorming session. There's just kind of two questions I'm wondering. One, what does the prep beforehand for you look like? And then two, like how do you lead the session? Great. So, okay, here's a, since it's 70 now, I can totally open the commode and tell everything because <laughs> I totally over prep for any brainstorm. Um, and I actually even brainstorm in my head. I come up with ideas and then I never tell my clients that I already have like five ideas in my pocket. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and then, yeah, I go on into the brainstorm totally naive as if I had done any homework because I want to go and set an expectation of everyone being naive. And I just start asking questions. You know, what's an analogy to our situation, for example? As I mentioned, that analogy of the phone and the docking station. Um, another thing I might ask are, what ideas have people thrown out and then what have been killed? And what have we said in the industry that killed, you know, that would have killed those ideas? And I call them killer phrases. So I want to sort of hear what are the things people are saying that are preventing them from coming up with ideas. Right. And then I just take them. Uh, so like Pepsi, when I was brainstorming with my good friend, Doug Hall, at Eureka Ranch, uh, Pepsi had just created, this is 1994. They had just created, you know, that guy that I think that, what was that 25 <laughs> years? Yeah. So it's 25 years ago that they had just created Crystal Pepsi, which was clear. And they created it because people wanted a clear drink. And I'm going, I think that drink they want is called water. 
And <laughs> folks at Pepsi would go, no, 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 we would never sell water. See, there, that's how I elicited what I want to hear. They would never sell water. Well, why would you never sell water? Because it's one of our com- components. You know, it's our ingredients. We got bottling factories and we really particular about our water and all that. Well, why don't you sell it? Uh, no, we don't think people really want that. That's for other people to, you know, springs and da-da-da-da. I'm going, okay. So, well, Crystal Pepsi was a bomb because it tasted like Pepsi, but it was clear. And I said, there's a disconnect. And they go, well, it passed our blind taste test. People really liked it. I go, well, you got a problem here. People don't drink soft drinks with blindfolds on. And you can also can't use a blindfold to judge the color of a drink. Yes. <laughs> you go, okay. You know, and I laugh about it. I just sort of made it fun. And I said, so, okay, what's the hottest new things? We've got to slam some things together now. Okay, remember three. What's hot to drink right now? Mm, coffee. Okay, what's really popular? Well, this new startup called Starbucks, where you actually go there, you pay four or five bucks for a latte and you sit there for a while. Whoa. Okay. So coffee's hot sitting there for a while. Okay. Keep going. So give me something else to slam together. And I'm not sure what the, oh, oh yeah. Getting bottles in the store, uh, chilled. They're just starting to start offering some chilled drinks in the store. I think Coors Beer had just come on out with you buy our beer, but it's always chilled and it's date coated. Yep. Whoa. So I'm going date coated, chilled bottles in the store, Frappuccino. Uh, Again, I don't know if I don't, we didn't call millennials back then, but whatever they would be, uh, (laughs) would want it. Huh. Why don't we team up with Starbucks, create a coffee drink, sell it in bottles in the store, give it an Italian name, and we invented Frappuccino. And see, people don't know that Frappuccino was first made by Pepsi. I mean, that's how I run Brainstorm. But my point is, they created it. Right. I just asked the questions. And that's why I, I mean, people go, you're crazy, get equity and everything, you know, charge so much and then get a percentage. And I'm going, how would you ever calculate that? Exactly. And also my clients would never buy into that because I did have one client. He said, okay, I want you to come out. Idea Lab, this California, Bill Gross, his name, wonderful man, one of the most brilliant people out there. He goes, uh, yeah, you know, would you come on out, run some brainstorms for me? And, um, you, you know, and we'll d- give you equity in, 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 in these, you know, these startup companies and different things. And I'm going, you know, that's not me. That's not my model. I come on in, I brainstorm, charge me, I charge a day rate. Then I move on to somebody else. I don't want to, because I think my strength, I've been on my own for, for 70 years. I mean, uh, I'm pretty much a hermit uh, in, in so much of life. And all I love to do is go from, one situation to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. And that's what I think makes me invaluable. Other people would be invaluable, like if they joined um, Bill Gross's group and, and then ran brainstorms for them and then would work with that group. And all. I mean, that's more of the consulting model. That's right. not me. I'm more of 
the wild duck or the court jester or whatever you want to call it. You bring me in and then I'm gone (laughs) and pay me my day rate and I'm happy. So with that, is it typically just like we bring you, they they bring you in for like a couple hours, an hour or two and just, or can it go Uh, as as long as it needs to, or how does that work? uh, No, it's, well, when brainstorming, it's, it's usually a full day or 12 hours or something like that. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it could be a high intensive with the Frappuccino. I think that was two and a half days. Okay. So it could be not, not much sleep. Uh, but that's because that was the model Doug Hall at Eureka Ranch had. And, and, and it was, it's a wonderful model, but they brought me in to do some facilitation during that. But my typical brainstorm is to come on in with a client and, I feel that we can we can accomplish it in in a full day, whatever yeah. that whatever that means. Gotcha. And with Idea Lab and Bill Gross, what were you doing with them exactly? Oh, he had just called me up one time and said, "Hey, he, I flew out. Um, where were where are they? Santa Monica or L.A.? Uh, there, you know, they wanted me to see about doing ongoing facilitation of the the various companies they were starting up, and then you know." rather than charging day rates, working out equity programs, which for another person, that would have been perfect. For right. me, that's not that's not my model. Because I like, you know, uh, when Harvard Business School wrote that case study on my life, they go, oh, my, I mean, they, they calculate it out because, you know, I got, <laughs> they want to know the financials, so I shared <laughs> everything. And they go, you've given... Oh, almost 5,000, you've run almost 5,000 brainstorms, you know, in your career. And they, I mean, they go, that's, um, and I go, yeah, and they're all different. That's what, I mean, if one day you got FBI agents, because I was just up there at Quantico doing a brainstorm there, then next time you're, you're in Chicago working with YWCA, then the next, then the next day you're working for a Cleveland clinic. And then the next day you're doing something else your brain just is on fire. Right, right. And, uh, you know, and, and that's, I mean, that's not for everybody. Yeah, but it seems like that, uh, that's what you enjoy, the part of having the differences all the time, right? With the brainstorm, it's like a new problem every time. That's seems to be Right, it's a new enjoy. problem. So if you told me, okay, I want you to go and brainstorm mattresses for the next three weeks, I go, I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, I'll do it for two days. But then I got to move on to something else. And then I'll come back to you. And so that's what I do with a lot of my clients that they bring me in like once a year. Okay. That's typically how they roll. And and that's the model for me. It's my ADD, you know, model for, but it's not what they teach you at Accenture or something like that. They, I mean, I've taught for Accenture. I did 13 years of teaching everybody in their strategic practice and they kept telling me okay so what's the template you use i don't have one (laughs) and then so the first time i presented out there they had a person sitting in the back of the room as i'm presenting all day and she said give me an outline of your presentation and i go okay i wasn't allowed to talk i hadn't given an outline and then she comes up to me at first break and she said you didn't follow anything in this outline i go no i changed my mind (sighs) because i read the audience Right. She goes, yeah, but how do I know whether you're, you know, you're good? I mean, you know, I got to go and tell my boss that you followed your outline. And I said, I got an idea for you. 
What if you ask the attendees whether my session was valuable? Huh, that's a new way of evaluating a facilitator, I think. Seems obvious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I go, don't put somebody in the back of the room that's checking a checkbox when it's creativity. Right. I mean, it doesn't make so, any sense. <laughs> yeah. So I taught that for 13 years. I mean, and that never again did they ever ask for an outline because I'm going, you know, I mean, I always quote Einstein who said he taught first and second year physics. And he said, in second year physics, when he passed out the final exam, the students would say, Dr. Einstein, we already had this test. You gave us last year's final exam. He said, yeah, the answers are different this year. <laughs> I still I believe. Okay. If this was a podcast next week, next Monday, it would be different. Be totally different. If I gave the yep. same thing. That, and that's why I love podcasting. Cause it's always different. Obviously the guests are different themselves, but even like I'll have a template somewhat, but then every guest has different differences. And so it'll, it'll change week to week, which is yeah. fun. Oh yeah. And then you never know when someone's going to listen and what they're going through, but we will all make those connections. And yep. you know, it's fascinating that people will send me emails that go, I was there, I listened to your talk, and you know, it was just the perfect timing for me because I was going through this or this or whatever. And I'm going, that's just being curious. Yeah. If you're curious, the timing turns out to be perfect. If you're not curious, the timing is never right. Yep. Exactly. It's curiosity that makes everything come together because your brain takes, oh, I just heard this in a talk and I have this problem and I got this thing and you triangulate and go, wow, there's a possible idea. Yep. And to that point, like, obviously you've gone through, there's so many ways to, to go about this, but I want to talk a little bit about your presentations that you've done and the TED talk and everything else, like the, yeah. the preparation and going into those types of things as well. Like what, what do you think you know, makes for a good presentation because people who listen to the show eventually will either have to pitch investors or pitch some, themselves in some other type of way. So like in terms of presenting or anything like that, like how do you create an effective presentation? Connect emotionally. And Gladwell says it so well. He said, and most people go, ah, oh, no, that couldn't be true. Gladwell says that we actually our first evaluation of someone is before they open their mouth. And I go, whoa, <laughs> it's how you look when you, and I mean, so what I learned, I mean, it was fascinating doing my first TED talk. They go, okay, you know, we lined you up with a coach. I go, a speaking coach? <laughs> yeah. And she go, I go, Okay, I'll do a speaking coach. And the speaking coach said, you know, I'm thinking, okay, so I got to really like prepare this. And I go, okay, it's got to be 18 minutes. Whoops, I got a constraint there. Whoa. And so I go and give my rough talk to her. And she's sitting there in the school auditorium. This is the rehearsals. And she came up afterwards. And I'm thinking that she's going to say, hey, you know, you must like do this for a living because that was okay. And she goes, it's good. I go, just good. And she said, yeah, your intention was wrong. Huh. I go, I don't even know what the word means. You know, cause I, I mean, you know, I don't use the word intent or something. She said, your intention was wrong. And I go, okay, help me. I don't know what you mean. She goes, who were you talking to? I said, I was talking to like 
an empty auditorium. And I was trying to make sure that I finished it in 18 minutes. And she goes, correct. Your intention was to make sure you finished in 18 minutes and you had the right number of slides and you clicked through it perfectly. And she goes, your intention needs to be to reach every individual in that audience and to give them a glimmer of hope because you don't know what they're going through. Right. I go, okay, can I do this over? (laughs) Can I do it again? (laughs) Again. (laughs) And I'm going to go and think of, you know, a full house and relate it. And I did better. And she said, okay, before you go on, before you present, just ask the question, what's your intention? I go, wow. I mean, that is such a powerful thing before you go and present anything. What's your intention? That's great. And and who are you trying to reach? And how do you want to move them? And the other thing I've thought, because I, you know, I, I fortunately get emails from people after a presentation. I, you know, I save them. I save everyone. I respond to everyone. And you know what? 90% of all of them say, thank you for being emotional. Thank you for telling your personal stories. I'm sorry you're going through some health issues. I am too. And you really gave me some, I'm going, oh my God. I think there's a life lesson there. If you're going and to present, present with emotion, present, um, tell them something personal about you. Help your audience or audience of one, audience of a thousand go, oh, I grew up near there or I had that challenge in school or gosh, I've got irritable what irritable bowel syndrome. I mean, it might sound <laughs> crazy, but you can be, if, if the person you're presenting to goes, oh God, I know what it's like with that. All right. They're going to start. Whoa. God. It breeds something which is so important and we don't teach it. It's called empathy. Yes. (laughs) We got to have empathy for the audience and the audience has empathy for the presenter. And I don't know any, we're just starting to go and teach. And that's why what, as you now know, Justin, that's why I've made the last five years. I'm going to make the next 25 years of my life. My goal is to teach empathy to kids um, around the world and teach them how to walk in the shoes of other kids. And it has been unbelievable. I got kids in inner city Chicago sending, uh, becoming pen pals with kids in Ghana and Nigeria. And they were opening up about their challenges. And the kids in Ghana are talking about their big challenge is that 20% of them have malaria at any one point in time. Okay. The kids in Chicago are talking about all the shootings and how they, every time when they're, this is, I'm only dealing with elementary school. Yep. The kids in Chicago talk about, we hear gunfire. What we do a drill. As soon as you hear gunfire, you jump to the ground. Okay. Jeez. Oh. Yeah. You know, you go, wow. So those kids are telling the kids at Ghana that don't, I mean, Ghana, I think is considered 
like one of the most peaceful places in the world. And they probably don't hear gunfire, but they go, whoa, malaria, whoa. Then they start reading about malaria. The kids start to have empathy. Yep. And so that's what I realized. That's the big one for me is that if you want to present an idea, be empathetic. Love it. Uh, about your product, your service, and what the members of your audience are going through. I think we'll just make for a better communication. Yeah, I think that's very powerful and having the empathy because that's ultimately like you're, you're trying to get them to come away with something, some feeling or some change, right? And if you just yeah. present some slides that doesn't really affect them, like how is that going to enact change? It's not, especially with that intention that you need. And one thing I just have to say quickly on the malaria thing, there's a foundation called Against Malaria Foundation. And okay. I've been donating to them for a few months now and they provide nets to those people because that's one of the best ways to prevent it uh-huh. eventually. So everyone should definitely support that against Malaria Foundation. You can look it up. Okay. But it's a very powerful thing for literally saving lives through just buying the right nets to have prote- protection. So something I had to mention. Yes. No, uh, excellent. Excellent. And I'm seeing it more and more. You bring up the whole concept of nonprofits and all of that. I'm seeing more that more people are starting to get really involved in the nonprofit, whether through donations, whether through spreading the word. And so the empathy is coming around. And so I think when I look about working with someone, I mean, and I go to their LinkedIn page, (laughs) first thing I go is I look at their volunteer component. Yeah. So how do they volunteer their time? Before I go and look at their undergraduate and graduate degrees, this is what gives me hope in the world is that more and more of us that are, are out there, we are living and breathing empathy. It's going to make it a better world. Yeah, I agree. And with working with the kids for the last, like you said, five years, that's Waggy Labs, right? Yes. Waggy Labs stands for Waggy is what a great idea. I had written a book called What a Great Idea, and everybody used to call it Waggy. <laughs> and uh, so I thought Waggy is the do- When you got autoimmune challenges, you don't have pets. Yeah. So I've always wanted a pet. And since I'm a cartoonist, I drew a dog. So the dog is Waggy, and Waggy teaches kids how to become kidpreneurs. And it's a curriculum that we wrote. It's a 14 session, 14 90 minute sessions curriculum that is used in Ghana, Nigeria, Haiti, Navajo Nation, inner city Chicago. And it is free. <laughs> we give it away. And we then Skype in and we teach it. I've got students, volunteers uh, that Skype in and teach it. I've got, uh, and the new thing we're providing is musicians are Skyping in and helping the kids turn the community ideas that they come up with in Waggy Labs into song. And in Ghana, had four musicians from Nashville help the kids in Ghana write a song about called Everyday Wash. And it's about washing your hands to prevent catching malaria. And this morning, I just found out that the girls not only want to create a billboard that highlights their everyday wash song, but they just got approval for the billboard. And so we're going to have a billboard with this every a photograph of the girls singing their everyday wash, and it's going to be preventive hand washing. And they said, we can get all that 
And it's going to cost $300 <laughs> to have the billboard built, photographs put on there and all that. Can you help us raise the money? So I just sent them 300 bucks. That's awesome. I mean, you go, <laughs> okay. So, but I took that idea and I just emailed after that. I just emailed some of the other Waggy Labs in the United States and already once responded back, go, God, we're going to do a billboard, you know, in our town where we're doing Waggy. We're in some of the challenged communities. We're in Bristol, Virginia which really is, is going through, it's a beautiful community um, and Cumberland, Virginia, beautiful communities in Virginia, however, have some challenges there. Yeah. And so the kids are going and creating, are creating their ideas and they're actually starting to present their ideas. Now the new thing, I guess, we're going to be creating songs and music videos, and then we're going to start creating billboards you never know what's next. Um, <laughs> but it's all about the kids. So can I finish off talking about opposites? Yeah. Oh, go for it. So, I mean, what I've realized in life, if you try to put a real pattern to everything about why did this happen? Okay, we got, you know, whether thinking politically or whatever, I try not to think politically, but when you try, when you go, okay, you go Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, you know, you just go going on and on, or you, you think right, left. You have, well, hey, opposites are really a powerful component. Um, and we always swing a little bit too far either way when we do in it. Um, and that's okay because as my friends that are cell biologists um, tell me, we are built on DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, which is two interlocking spirals or what we call the double helix. And I go, oh my God, we are composed of opposites. We're a right brain, a left brain. And my friend Dan Pink says the goal is to have a whole brain. Okay, well, you can have a whole brain as long as your right brain and your left brain work together. It's called fluency. And the way you get that is I've just, these are techniques I've used my whole life. And people go, these are really weird. But <laughs> all I can say is they work for me. When I go grocery shopping, everybody, they, most people go grocery shopping, they, they have a normal way of walking through the grocery store. Well, every once in a while, I'll walk the exact opposite way I go through the grocery store to see if I can break my pattern. Yep. One day a week, I'll move my watch to my non-dominant, you know, to my other arm. And then every time I look at my other arm to tell the time and I go, God, I'm an idiot. I looked at my wrong arm. I put a smile on my face. I move my kitchen utensils from one drawer to another every three months so that I'm constantly breaking my pattern. I use my mouse with my right hand for a week. Then the next week I use it with my left hand. And if I'm driving for me from Charlottesville, Virginia to Washington, D.C., I'll drive one route going up and another route coming back. And because what I'm trying to do is break my pattern. And I've learned this, that it actually works because I've had, I drew cartoons for a doctor whose technique um, saved a lot of lives, Dr. Henry Heimlich. So I was talking to him one day, it's called the Heimlich Maneuver. And he said, you know how before he goes into surgery or something, how he gets into the present, he always puts his non-dominant leg into his scrub pants first. Uh. I go, that's brilliant. 
So I, then I had another friend, and this guy was a Cleveland Clinic plastic surgeon. He goes, you know, my biggest challenge is I do breast augmentation. I mean, okay, this is wild. I'm not going to mention his name. But he just said, I do breast augmentations, you know. And when I look at the final product after all done, I'm always going, you know, they're not perfect. They're always a little bit. He said, what can I do? I go, start with the other breast first. I bet you have a pattern. You always start with this versus that. You know, yep. he, he called me up and he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> I did it. I started with the other breast and it worked. <laughs> so all I'm saying is break your patterns. It doesn't matter how much of an expert you are in the field, break a pattern Yep. every once in a while. And it might make you more in the present. It might help you. Oh, so the way I break my patterns is I go and say, okay, it's the end of 2018, New Year's resolution. What are five things I will never do in 2019? And uh, so I can tell you some of the things I've said that I would never do over the last couple of years is like I would never go to Gold's Gym and become a bodybuilder because I'm only 125 pounds soaking <laughs> wet. Well, then what would be right about that? Huh? Well, it'd be good for my osteoporosis, but I wouldn't walk into a Gold's Gym because I'm too thin. And, you know, that's just for muscle people. Well, Okay. Well, what if rather than do that, why don't I go work out? I'm at UVA um, and I can go to UVA's gym. Why don't I go and work out at UVA gym and go and get some uh, football players and athletes to be my partner? And because of, you know, then I can be talking to them about creativity. They can be helping me with weight training. And that's where I go. And one of my workout partners is 360 pounds and I'm 125. <laughs> and we chest butt after we do stuff and we're called the fly and the windshield. And I have a blast. <laughs> um, so what would I never, so actually the whole Waggy Labs thing that we created uh, of teaching kids came from when I was 65, five years ago, my doctor and my physical said, okay, chick, you gotta be really careful. Your autoimmune diseases are kicking in. Uh, your immunity is low. So please just don't be around kids. Or if you are, wear a face mask. Okay. Okay. Fine. I don't have kids. So I don't have to worry about that. And then I started, what would I never do in my retirement? I said, yeah. So I would never teach kids because I've been teaching MBA students for the last 33 years. Well, what would be right about teaching kids? They're the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. a big one's right <laughs> and then if you've been hearing they just talked about it uh fareed zakaria and tom friedman talked about it yesterday on his show gps the kids that we need to really reach today are the kids in africa because it's the fastest growing populations along i mean with the you know kids in china and kids in india but they said the kids you really need to reach are the kids in africa well that's where I, my brain went a couple of years ago. Why don't we go places where I could never go? Because with my immune challenges now, I can't fly long distance and I can't go back to Africa and teach. Yeah. So I go through Skype and Google Hangout. And just about all of our training in Ghana and Nigeria is I Skype in or some of my students Skype in with the teachers over there. And we teach at six in the morning because there's a five hour time lag. And we're teaching kids in Ghana and Nigeria, Waggy exactly. Labs curriculum. <laughs> so it's that opposite. So my challenge for everyone out there is, okay, be curious first. 
When you hear an idea, be curious first. Critical second. Two, one day a week, move your watch to another arm or move your cell phone to another pocket. Something that will break your pattern. Three, go and make a list of, say, where would I never go on vacation this summer? Make a list of five places or things you would never do on vacation and stick it on your refrigerator door. And as you walk past that list of nevers, go, huh, what would be right about this? And see if there's something right about one of those nevers. And could you flip one of those nevers into something to really do cool this summer on your vacation? Because I think with those three things, if you are curious, if you understand about polarity and that ideas don't travel in straight lines, that you have to go out there and slam certain things together. And then the fourth piece would be when you see a challenge. And practice it. If you see something on the news and you go and say, whoa, I just saw that news story. Why would this person do this? Don't just go, why would this person do this? Get a response. Then why would that happen? And then why would that happen? And you, it just starts you getting into the practice of getting to the root cause. And I think when we get to the root cause of things, we're not going to be so partisan and so big in our heels. We'll see. I mean, I want a TV show now that, okay, I'm going to go and talk about what I think about it. But I also have to acknowledge that what's right about what my opponent is saying. Right. I mean, I want the show to called, well, what's right about it? I mean, yeah, okay, this, this is one point here. Okay, so we want $15 minimum wage. Okay, I know it's right about that. Well, what's right about the exact opposite? No minimum wage. What if we got rid of all the minimum wage and there's no minimum wage? What's right about that? Then you start having a cool dialogue. Build the wall. What's right about? Remove all the wall. What's right about it? And then you start having this dialogue rather than people fixed. Right. On and be more open. And final story was 1992 was when I wrote the first book, What a Great Idea. And I'm on book tour and I'm in L.A. And it just so happens to be the L.A. riots, Rodney King situation. So people are calling into the talk show I'm on and going, OK, you wrote a book on creativity. We've got a riot going on out here. What's what's uh, what solutions would you have? So the kids are the young people are in the street rioting, right? They go, yeah. I said, where else is there that the kids could go? There's no place to go because everything's closed down. Okay. I think I just identified your challenge. What does it say in the LAPD manual? If you think there's going to be a riot, close stuff. Okay. So we closed everything. Disneyland, movie theaters, stores. What if, if we think there's going to be a riot, we would do the exact opposite. We would open everything. However, we'd have protection. We would have, we would cart, we would bus people, kids to free Disneyland. We would have them go to a coliseum or the sporting event and they would be able to get in for free and watch basketball, but whatever. So I started playing with this and you next, who the next caller was? Someone from the LAPD. (laughs) And I go, I'm going, okay. And they go, could you come over and talk to us tomorrow? And I've been working for police now for 30 years. Wow. 
I'm just now I'm working with with uh, Superintendent Eddie Johnson in Chicago, and you know what's going on there. And Eddie is the most wonderful man, and the challenges that they got going on in in Chicago. And Eddie's the one that told me about the kids in the elementary school laying flat on the ground every time they hear a gunshot. And Eddie looked at me and just said, "The answer to this is not in our police manual. Right? Help us right. brainstorm." And he loves the concept of thinking in opposites. And so, I mean, all I'm saying is I took a risk by throwing out, okay, L.A., I, you know, I'm not from L.A., so I don't really know. But I just said, I so much believe in opposite thinking and having good dialogue that if you go and say, well, what's the exact opposite? And then what's right about it? Then all of a sudden you start having this conversation and the conversation to me is like improvisational theater. It's building off of the yes and rather than ending the dialogue with the yes but. Yeah, exactly. Chick, as you've gone through your career, I just one of these last one or two questions here. I have an idea of sure. what it might be, but like, what drives you? I used the word intention. I never, because I've never used that word before, that the woman mentioned to me, my coach. Somehow, it's the empathy and intention for the people that are there. I could not do this if it was talking to a computer. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, maybe I could 20 years from there's an opposite. Okay. <laughs> so, so, but I need to see whether it be through Skype or whether it to be there live, I need to see and feel and get something that I know there's a ch- some challenges out there that need some solutions. And that's what drives me to try to try to help give them, give them a possibility. And the reason why I think that drives me is because I always leave more enthused and about humanity after every talk. And the other piece is if, you know, the hospitals have a pain scale of zero to 10 with 10 being high. I live at a five. And sometimes when I get my kidney stones, I'm at a nine and then I get other things. But I can tell you, there is one time when I have no pain. There's one time when it's zero. And that's when I'm given a talk. Yeah. And I don't know. I said God created that. And so therefore, that's how I know that I'm doing the right thing. And I'm not giving it up because giving a talk for me is better than any drug that my doctors can give me. Yeah, that's that's amazing, Chip. Where can people find you, learn more about you, get in contact with you? Because this has been quite the amazing chat, I think. Oh, thanks, Jason. Waggy Labs, W-A-G-I-L-A-B-S, waggylabs.org. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. They can uh, Google that. Um, or they could just plug in my name and they will see a TED talk. And I just gave a talk for Google. So that one's on there too. Yeah, I'd be glad if I got fellow people that have some really unique challenges that want to be open and share and don't ask me to sign an NDA about anything. <laughs> um, I'm all open and I will email back as quickly as I can. So I used to say my email was chick at whatagreatidea.com, but 
all of a sudden that got caught up in a lot of spam filters because people thought it was pornographic, I guess. I don't know. So it's it's woof, W-O-O-F at waggylabs.org. That's probably the safer one, especially if someone works on a government and it has to go through any filters. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time today, Jake. Really enjoyed this chat. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.